Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Sundance Burke. Welcome, Sundance. Hi, Rick. Nice to be here. Thank yeah. you. Sundance is the husband of Katie Davis, whom I interviewed last week. And um, the two of them live out in Redmond, Washington, and uh, quite a dynamic duo. They've both written very nice books. Sundance's is called Free Spirit, A Guide to Enlightened Being. <clears throat> and you guys do satsangs and travel around and talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, I guess, over Skype and all sorts of things. And you've been doing this for quite a while. I mean, you, I think you ha you said you had your awakening in, what, 1982 or something like that? Uh, I had the beginning. Beginning of, the, right. Yeah, I had the opening to uh, a new way of, of being, of going inside instead of going without. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, as you know from having watched some of these interviews, um, and ha particularly the one with your wife last week, um, people do like to hear a mix of, um, you know, the person's personal spiritual odyssey, and also, you know, just the sort of the knowledge that they espouse. And usually that knowledge um, is based in their experience. Hopefully it is. If it's not, then they shouldn't be saying it, I think. <laughs> so uh, uh, in your case, <clears throat> why don't you just start telling your story, and then it'll, g it'll get us rolling. My story. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean. Um, you tell it in the book a bit. I've heard you tell it in talks. Uh, you were a lawyer. You were living in Hawaii, this and that. You ended up running into, I think, Osho's limousine driver or something. And, but you can fill in the details. Yeah. Um, you have to give me a second because you know I usually this is the one thing about um, the awakening is that one thing that goes away is uh, your story <laughs> so yeah I know I, I don't often tell it but uh, I will tell it uh, Good. as much as I can and I'll prime the prompt, pump as much as I can jog your memory and stuff I mean yeah, basically, you know, um, many years ago, mm -hmm. I was trapped in the ego state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a normal, uh, quote, human being. And so uh, I thought I was a person, and I thought I was this body, and uh, I identified with my, my mind, the thoughts that ran through it the yeah. thoughts that came up in consciousness. And, you know, where the story really starts in a, in a kind of a true way is I, as I grew up, was uh, the third Don, Donald Russell Burke the third. Mm. And I, I had an, um, I idolized my father who was a surgeon oh. and a very bright man, very magnetic man. Mm -hmm. And I was his oldest son. And in a normal growing up, um, I realized that as much as I loved him, uh, he was not a happy person. And yet, he had everything in life that life would seem to offer. Uh, and I've said this before, but he had it. He did. He, had, he was a a handsome man, he had money, he had a beautiful family, he had a, a great career, he was very skilled, but 
within his own existence, uh, he was quite miserable. And, and how, often, how, how do you know he was miserable? Well, he was often abusive. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and mean-spirited. Right. And it usually would happen around alcohol. Right. Um, so- almost, sounds familiar. Almost always around, uh, you know, drinking. Yep. Otherwise, he was a very a sweet, dear, kind-hearted, uh, serving human being. Mm-hmm. But this became, um, you know how we study our parents, right? So this became a, uh, a natural uh, situation that my own awareness, my own consciousness bumped up against. And it was uh, an incongruity, it was a paradox, and ultimately it was a problem uh, in terms of establishing relationship. So, so as, a, that, as a young boy, were you actually cognizant of the, of the paradox or the disparity between his outer life and his inner unhappiness? Were, were you kind of like scratching your head and saying, how could he be so unhappy if he's got his act so together? Or was it more subliminal and you kind of kind of articulated it to yourself later on in life? Uh, you know, I was really aware of it. Uh. Uh, uh, and I can only pick, let's say, uh, when I was 16. Um, I was aware of it before that, but um, I used to try to teach him to hug. <laughs> you know, I'd put my arm around him while I was sitting on the couch and uh-huh. gently say, now, Dad, that just relax, you know, huh. and uh, I mean that obvious. Hmm. And uh, and then w- when I was older, because um, this came to a head, when I was older, um, we'd go out together, and that would turn into a nightmare uh, by the end of the evening after a, a few cocktails. Hmm. When I when I was a lawyer and he was a doctor and we were in, you know, the local posh bars trying to have a relationship and uh, so um, as I said that created an issue for me because as it turns out I wanted what most people want I wanted you know love and happiness and uh, and joy and uh, the end of all this anguish and pain and dissat- and dissatisfaction. So something happened, and this is really this is the way life is. Um, my whole attitude toward life has changed. I I now see that everything happens as opposed to I do it or someone does it. And it happened that uh, uh, in the midst of this dis- dissatisfaction, I on a lark, on a spontaneous moment, took a, a trip down to California, um, presumably for business, and uh, uh, that day changed my entire life uh, because I met a being, a human a consciousness that uh, I had an experience with that uh, I'm really not going to go into the experience too much. Just, just say that it it completely shattered my idea of reality. Uh, the, the experience was so profound, and it was so inside me. Um, I was at one moment 
electrified on the, on a floor in, in San Francisco and having a vision of how my parents had uh, run their egoic relationship through me. And I was not only seeing them, I was also seeing myself. So I was completely in, a, in another space as, as this consciousness. Did you run into this guy just um, by accident? Uh, yeah. So-called so accident? You ran well, I went, I went down to see my client, and it just turned out that this particular uh, being was staying with them temporarily at his house. Why do you call him a being? Uh, well, I think being is our, our true name for ourselves, uh-huh. uh, as opposed to person, let's say. So you, yeah. you use that word because this guy was established in being, and it seems superficial to refer to him as this guy, uh, or as this, this person I ran into. Uh, you know, I really don't know where. This was a long time ago, yeah. and a lot, of th- a lot of things have happened since then. A lot of growth mm-hmm. has happened since then. But I can tell you that uh, he was nothing like I was at that time. Right. Nothing. Uh, other than the fact that uh, all of us have the same true essence. And his essence was, was showing um, brightly, but... Again, it's hard to it's hard to explain. That's okay. Uh, so, did you recognize something unusual about this being or the moment you saw him, or was it was it more like you went home to your friend's house and you got into a conversation, and then it it, it sort of something began to shift? Um, I was caught up in something. You know, I was caught up in a in a whirlwind of it's like be, it's like I was thrown into another dimension and I didn't even see it coming. Just his presence, or his just zapped you like that, and it wasn't just him. You know, oh. it was the whole environment. It was the whole experience. It I was see. the fact that I had picked up on a lark and yeah. flown to California for no reason. I had a beard at the time, and I was shaving it off. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you told the story, and you didn't finish yeah. shaving because no, you had, you're late for your plane. <laughs> I got half of it off. <laughs> and then um, I, I heard from my client when he picked me up at the airport that he had this master staying in his place, and, and I was excited for some reason, and I was also scared for some reason. And, uh, you know, have you ever been in one of those situations where, you know, the hair on your skin is starting to stand up and and you don't know why, and it's an unknown, it's kind of a, it's, it's a brand new, fresh experience. So that's really what was happening. Yeah. I was having this uh, uh, unexpected event. Is he somebody that became Unex- well-known, or somebody we, no one would have ever heard of listening to this? Uh, a few people probably know him because he was quite infamous in his own way. Uh, <laughs> but what, uh, what's his, but Do no. you mind telling his name, or...? Is, do you feel well, he doesn't go by this name anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, and he doesn't teach, and hasn't for many, many, many years. Uh-huh. And I haven't had contact with him for many, many, many years. So I, his name was Satoshi at the time. Huh. I haven't heard of him. Uh, this is really kind of off the point in terms of what my present teaching is, but... Yeah, we'll catch up just, with you. Yeah. Just, yeah, just to lead up to it. Uh, he had a lot of cities. Ah. Uh, 
uh, and he was very close to Rajneesh later Osho. And both of them were similar in that. They had a lot of uh, powers. And uh, I experienced within the first few months um, many of these powers. And it, I was 32, and he was about the same age. So we were young, fairly young, um, relatively speaking. And, uh, you know, it just blew me away. I mean, uh, uh, telepathy, reading your mind from a distance, uh, you go out of body for days and come back. Uh, almost instantaneous healing. He could touch you, and then you have energy running out of your fingertips for hours. Huh. He used to do it to his cat every time he came in the house. <laughs> Give him a little mush, 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 and the cat. <laughs> and uh, you know, I didn't know this all at once. These things just entered, um, but uh, could play any musical instrument. Could go into a park and just pick up any instrument and, and start playing with a group without ever having learned that instrument, or just he had he had a musical background. I don't know. He had a musical background, but how he learned it, I don't know, because he literally could play anything. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he was uh, emotionally very solid. Uh, he didn't suffer. Huh. He didn't, his consciousness was just completely devoid of emotional uh, yo-yo playing. And... Uh, and he could put anyone in a trance just by looking at them. Wow. Uh, and that was my start. You know, I mean, that, that isn't anywhere near where I'm at right now. But, right. But if you really want to know how it got going, that's where it kicked off. That's interesting. I mean, did this guy, you say he was notorious. Did he end up um, getting himself in trouble with all this uh, power? Did it sort of go to his head? Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he got in trouble. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I won't speak for that because I that to him it may have been no trouble at all. Maybe, you know? but you know the scriptures kind of warn against uh, getting carried away with this stuff because it can can go to your head. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's important for I suppose people to to know um, that cities are really not the answer. Right. Um, however, it does tell you something about the human being's potential. Yeah. Uh, but an interest, one of the interesting things that did happen, now this, this is tying back into where I started this story. Uh, about three months after I met him and, and was in relationship as much as possible during that time, having experiences and learning and watching and observing and participating, uh, he told me, uh, and we formed a close relationship pretty quick, he told me, that's, this is crazy. He told me that someone in my family was going to die mm -hmm. soon. And he, and he just said it straight like that. And I started looking around in my mind, you know, like at my different family members to see, like, well, is anybody sick? Uh, you know, is there anything, um, you know, is any... It just so I was trying to go through some of the people in my family, like who this might be, and also I might, you know, I thought maybe it would be me. <laughs> my lifeline is really short, <laughs> so it ended up to be uh, my father huh. at fifty-eight. Oh, that's pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and it was notorious uh, death. 
with a oh, I, I can't go there. I can't go there. It was it was really shocking, and it was out of the blue, mm. and uh, you can imagine, you know, how that got my attention. Yeah. Um, and then the end of this beginning story is just the fact that when I ran into this path, the path of awakening, the path of finding out who I really am as opposed to who I thought I was, I realized that I had been waiting for this path my whole life. Mm-hmm. And in other words, I had, I had never fallen absolutely in love with any activity or any passion I went from one thing to the next. Might have something to do with my dharma being an Aries, you know, start and stop a lot of things. But nonetheless, I uh, I never could um, settle anywhere. And then when this path came, <laughs> I knew it instantly. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, shocked a lot of my family and friends, and and uh, because I just completely turned all my attention and all my passion and all my energy toward this investigation, this inquiry, this awakening, and it started there. Did you quit I, your quit your law practice, or did you manage to juggle that as well? <sighs> Everything fell apart. <laughs> Everything, every every structure I had my ego built on, mm-hmm. uh, fell apart. Now it, it held together for a while, uh, about five years. I was able to keep it going, and then uh, it was gone, and everything else was gone. Uh, family was gone. My uh, uh, money was gone. My job was gone. Uh, I ended up without a car, and I living in downtown Seattle doing uh, stand-up comedy at open mic sessions. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and I wouldn't prepare. Wow. I would just walk in. <laughs> And some of those performances were okay, and others were completely humiliating. Yeah, yeah. But uh, were any of them really great? A few, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that again, uh, that wasn't my. This is a part of this awakening thing: is that you, you at first you think it, the real awakening is experience-based, mm-hmm. so you are seeking. Uh, some sort of an experience, hmm. uh, and you're hoping to find just the perfect experience, and you're hoping that it will be lasting. And you know, I found it, and uh, so there were many, many, many <laughs> attempts. <laughs> yeah, were you like um, still with this Santoshi guy, or were you kind of like? Try visiting uh, different teachers and trying about, different things and stuff. About three years, uh, I was uh, encountering and meeting with him, uh, and even brought him up to my home in Seattle from California, and we did some workshops and uh-huh. 
and uh, I, he was a mentor. He, he even would do workshops and put me at his side um, so that I could not participate but watch. Um, uh, I'd have to say that he was the really only teacher that I really had in that kind of a formal relationship way. He also introduced me to um, Shunyata in California, who um, got his name from Ramana Maharshi in India. And when I met Shunyata, he was 91. Wow. And he was labeled by, that's not the right word, labeled, but he was given the, the grace and blessing of Ramana um, by, by a personal encounter in front of Ramana where the telepathic words, uh, we are always aware, Shinyata, came to um, this being. And um, he was one of the first people that Satoshi introduced me to when I went to California. It was actually in Marin. And he would. He just said, "You want to go meet a friend of mine?" He didn't tell me anything about him. He just took me to uh, his room. He was being hosted um, by a local family, and I walked in, and there's this 91-year-old mystic. And quite honestly, I, they say that a mystic means um, the wholeness of the cosmos, and so it was actually kind of difficult to tell whether he was a man or a woman. Um, but just being in his presence and seeing him actually blew some more of my programs. See, this is the whole thing. All my condition was being um, destroyed and busted. And just being in the room with Shinyata and Satoshi, and they would talk, and I would say nothing because I was actually stunned and um, I actually couldn't stay in the room for more than about 10 or 15 minutes in the beginning. Uh, it was just too intense, and not nothing was directed at me. Uh, it was just energetic, and uh, uh, and so that that destroyed my concept of old age. <laughs> You know, um, he floated around the room. He wore red high-top Converse tennis shoes, uh -huh. and you know, Indian garb, and the turban, and 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 uh, another dimension. You know, there were miracles happening all the time, crazy things right in front of my eyes, hmm. and I just. Uh, overt ones or more again on on the mental level of telepathy and that kind of thing. Overt. Overt, you know, I saw him trip on the carpet, uh -huh. like he was gonna, and he, to me, he looked like a falling man. Yeah. And then this leg comes out, uh -huh. and stabilizes him. Huh. Just one, almost like some sort of a yogic thing or something. Mm. And uh, and then a lot of it was just funny, you know. One time we were in the room with him, and he his room was really dusty. He had papers and books everywhere. And he was he was he was very cerebral, very intelligent, very conscious. And uh, somebody asked him about the accumulation of dust in his room. And uh, his response to that was, I don't bother it. 
it don't bother me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you can learn a lot from that, you know? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just one thing after another. I felt very um, blessed, and I also felt scared and excited and... Um, I was I was really being put through a a course. Mm. I, these are the old days. A lot of this stuff doesn't even happen anymore. I mean, it was very uh, very energetic. Yeah, you'd be surprised. I, I people get in touch with me all the time, saying you know that they just woke up one morning and all of a sudden their kundalini was rising and they didn't, <laughs> what, didn't know what was going on and they started like thought they were going crazy and you know just really starting to cook and looking for answers and, and there's all kinds of people I mean you say it yourself in your book and elsewhere that there seems to be this global awakening taking place and the popcorn is popping all over the place so you know in a way what you were experiencing was maybe I mean certainly people have through for thousands and thousands of years have been in the presence of people whose very presence was enlightening and and and, and you know transformative, um, but it's a bit I suppose of a new, th- relatively new thing in the West, and maybe in that regard you were something of a pioneer. Um, these days, that actually is happening in practically on every street corner. It seems. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. Yeah, uh, great. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's it's really happening in a big way now. Were you doing any kind of like spiritual practices or disciplines during this time or basically just living your life and things were popping? Uh, I was given a, you know, again, here we are, you're still at the beginning, but I was given, and this is fine, I was given a lot of spiritual texts uh-huh. to read. Okay. Um, I knew nothing about it mm-hmm. uh, in any real way. Um, no formal practices, never really actually have ever had a teacher that recommended uh, a complex mental practice. Mm-hmm. Almost all, almost everything that I was exposed to was uh, communicating uh, be aware. Mm. Uh, the only two words I ever got from Shinyana in terms of a teaching, and I, I went to him one time in a terrible emotional state uh, where my ego was just under huge attack and I was resisting and I was in a lot of pain and I went up to him you know imploring for help and he just said he just looked at me very calmly and casually and said two, two words he said go within and he didn't say it with any great compassion that I perceived either it was just yeah. like this is direct advice go within and I took that to heart you know what does that mean go within. So, you know, that became my contemplation. And uh, I would say that that is the main uh, teaching, that it's our, our attention normally is directed as a person to the, to the world mm-hmm. and to the, to the self, the objects, the object me, the object world, the object you. And this was, no, turn around turn around and investigate within yourself. And um, we know how to do that, actually, very naturally. We're habituated to avoid it. Um, in the old 
consciousness, but there is a consciousness now that is is arising very strongly that is uh, actually um, we're getting to know the consciousness itself, something that we actually never even took credence of. So we're looking at what what is your beloved, you know, the one that will not betray you. What does not change about you? You know, what what is always true? And and so um, when you say we, I think you, you're, you're inferring we as a culture, because obviously there have been individuals throughout history who've, you know, been adepts in, in, in this domain. But um, it's, there seems to be some, uh, something new about the proliferation of it, the commonality of it, you know, the fact that people everywhere are getting familiar with the kind of thing you've just been saying. It's not so unusual anymore, right? I mean, well, that's what you mean when you say we. Because in a sense, there's nothing new under the sun, but in terms of it being more um, widespread. I think, I mean, I think I'm talking to those that are making the transition or about to. Uh, I'm I'm talking to us who are awakening. Yeah. uh, The kind of people who would be inclined to listen to this thing. There's always been. In the first place. There's always been awake being right. in existence for sure mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, we we're living out this drama uh, this story that is we're living right now in the most amazing time it's just uh, it's incredible beautiful yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, five years in, you were, you were doing comedy in, in nightclubs, and uh, you know your life was falling apart. So, but you say that's still the beginning. We really haven't gotten to the, the more significant thing you wanted to say. Um, well, I mean, that is the story part, you know. I mean, okay. And there's many, 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 many more stories. Sure, many stories and experiences. and Yeah, yeah, but, but the point, I mean, the point is is that once once we turn within, once we turn to discover who we are, uh, you know, hopefully the, that is something that can be completed, mm-hmm. you know, that you can actually, well, I guess they call it, Self-realized now, you can you can actually um, allow the ego to fall away, yeah, you know, the false self, and to stabilize, right, and to find out in a in a very congruent and centered way, you know, who are you, who am I, to the point where you don't need to ask that question anymore, right, but. Um, I, I mean, the long and the short of it is, is that I worked very, very, very hard for 17 years, uh, which, you know, is just a relative term. Um, some people are less and some more and some never. It doesn't make any difference. But for those who say there's no effort required or nothing to do, uh, I would say no. <laughs> Uh, I did hundreds of different things Mm. and spent endless hours um, 
But I did get focused on, and I, I didn't go to many distracted ways of learning, at least from my point of view, and that's all it is, my point of view. Um, I liked the simple teachings. I was in love with uh, Nizar Yadada's work, his expressions. I got that book very early, and I wore it out. Um, you, I still have it, and it just falls apart in my hand. <laughs> so many times. Give me a copy. I just loved him, and yeah. because he had a lot to say, and it was all incredibly intelligent, and in essence, it's all very simple. You know, I mean, his main teaching, and I agree, I, I help people in this way too, is just be aware of, of your base, of the only thing you know for sure, and that is I am. It's a true fact, I am. You can say that. cannot be disputed. And you get to know that. You contemplate it. You feel it. You go beneath those two words. And you stay with that. Um, as your meditation, and, and you can doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be at work. You can be eating. Um, you can be right here, talking. It, it's. Uh, I now see that this is the one thing that the human, and this is a story too, our human story. This is the one thing that we uh, never gave cognizance to. In other words, we're very interested in the body. Um, the physical form. I'm very interested in our in our mind and, and emotions, and in our senses. But uh, the power that allows all of that to exist um, was never even spoken of. You know, like you go to school. Yeah, they don't tell you, you that know, stuff. No, they say pay attention, <laughs> but they tell you what to pay attention to. But they don't actually tell you to pay attention to attention, you know, or to see see what that power is. So in effect, we have all these people operating in, in this, again, story world or dream world who have no idea who they really are. And then they're making assessments about everything they see around them and, and saying, I know this, I know that, I know this, I know that. And they're skipping <laughs> the self. Yeah. I don't I don't know myself, but I know everything else. And most of them don't know that they don't know who they are. Right. You yeah. know, most most people haven't even asked the question yet or, or it hasn't even dawned on them that they might be something more than they take themselves to be. Right. I mean, this I am thing you just said, I mean, if you say that to most people, they're going to say, well, you know, I am Rick and I like to, you know, eat such and such and play, play the guitar and I work at this job and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Uh, but, which, of course, has nothing to do with what you're pointing at. Yeah. No, it doesn't. I mean, uh, those are all, those are things that you learn and you have, you can't, you can't tell anybody this. They have to look for themselves. They have to really investigate for themselves, find it directly that, my goodness, um, that image of myself that I see, or that I think, or that I feel is not really who I am. Right. You know, and uh, so with our intellect, we can actually see the things that are false. Um, but that's as far as really the intellect can take you. You, we can see the false. We can see the false. We can start letting things drop away. We can, we can start to see the programming and the conditioning, and then. Um, 
And we start to, and, and by observation, by looking, you learn. And that's how everybody learns. That's how we've learned anything, really, is, yeah. is through uh, paying attention. So were you kind of doing this during that 17 years, reading books and then just sort of continuing to... Constantly. Yeah, it became Constantly. probably second nature to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It was constant. And so, as an example, so there's a really good reason not to have a formal practice mm -hmm. because formal practices are limiting. Usually you have to have the right environment, you have to have the right amount of time, you have to, you know, set it up in a certain way. It's got, usually they've got big structures. But if you have just the practice of turning within, just the, and the practice of being aware that I am. In other words, I'm standing in a line in the grocery store. And in the old day, I'm aware. I'm aware right now that I am. Mm -hmm. Now, you'd be surprised to check it out for yourself. Most people are not even aware that they exist. Mm. Um, and this is what is establishing presence. That's We call it presencing. Western world, or uh, presence means I am, I am aware that I am, and you don't really need to do anything. You don't need to go anywhere beyond that. You don't need to add anything to that. You don't need to take anything away. Just really, actually experiencing what that's like, mm -hmm. you know, and it reveals it to you on its own uh, the value of it the truth of it, what it is. Yeah. In defense of formal practices, which I've been doing for 44 years, though, I would say that, uh, that it's the, the things aren't mutually exclusive. Right. You know, you right. can do a practice, right. but uh, you can also be doing what you just said, and they, they can actually be complementary. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's no... I'm not, I was not making a rule. Right. You know, <laughs> and some people actually do well to have a discipline of some sort that they kind of, I mean, anything can be taken out of proportion or to become obsessive or whatever. But um, I know in my own case, my life was such a shambles when I first learned to meditate at the age of 18. I dropped out of high school and been arrested a couple of times and, you know, things were crazy <laughs> that um, it was uh, tremendously, you know, Nourishing and and healing and pro profoundly, it turned my life around on a dime, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, so my my tendency is to s ne never sort of say, well, you don't need this, you don't need that. It's just say, if it works for you, more power to you, you know. And and also may maybe you could also say, consider this because this is all this is also good. So keep your eyes open, keep all your options open. Yeah. 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 See, that's the, that's the problem with a personal story is it's too limiting. Yeah. You know, I, that's why we're here together. Mm -hmm. So between us, we can broaden the picture. Yeah, and, 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 we, and, and go beyond the person because it's, uh, you're right. They're, this is really all about each being going within their own self, and then they determine. Yeah. What I think in, as long as personal stories are told in a way that, doesn't make people conclude that their story has to be like your story or something in order for any X, Y, Z to happen. You know, <laughs> it, it, it can be interesting. You know, you read autobiography of a yogi. You don't need to be like Yogananda. It's an interesting story. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
And uh, and some people do. I do get feedback from people who say, "I'd love to see the variety of ways in which you know the circumstances in which." people woke up not that the circumstances themselves were responsible for it but it kind of gives people hope sometimes you know that even they uh, ordinary joe schmo you know doing this that and the other thing that it, it, you don't have to be a special person for for this sort of thing to happen yeah it's true but as long as it doesn't distract you yeah from your own um and, and i have actually seen where it does distract so, I have I have too, and I've seen yeah. people try to emulate others and eat what they eat and dress yeah. like they dress and talk right. like they talk, and right. you know then then I, your point is very well taken if that's what a person ends up doing. Yeah, there's going to be a run on these like blue sweatshirts after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so where were we? I shouldn't ask you that. <laughs> I should ask. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, you t you talked about the seventeen years and how there was this sort of intense, earnest um, focus, reading and and looking at yourself. You know, self self reflection, self referral, and um, the number seventeen seems to be significant because it implies that at the end of seventeen years there was some kind of breakthrough. Uh, there actually there was a breakthrough um, during that period. I never was a teacher. During that period, I never shared. Um, I always had, um, even though I would have unbelievably profound. And, and toward the latter part of that time, I was actually I thought I was free. You know, I thought I was liberated. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the last two or three years. I, mean, I was completely different from the beginning. And I thought I was liberated. Mm. And then in, um, then in uh, one retreat I went to uh, with Eli and Ganga G. Uh -huh. so I'll give them a, a kudo here. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, I was with Katie. All of a sudden, we were in Hawaii. All of a sudden, I uh, had this enormous longing come up. Mm. And I hadn't experienced that for, for years. And uh, actually, I felt my life was quite clear, and that's only my feeling to me. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this enormous longing came up. And um, I was on fire uh, with it, intense. Did it have a target or a focus, or was it just an abstract longing? It was like, uh, it was like uh, I, I, I felt bound. Mm. And it, it was... You know, I, at that point, I just, you, you don't, you know, hopefully you don't deny, you know, what your experience is. And I, you know, whatever I was thinking, I was like, it, it was, um, had nothing, no power over what I was actually feeling in that moment. Hmm. And, uh, and again, like I said, I'd never been a teacher, never shared. So there was something in me, right? There was some doubt or, um, and this is hindsight helping a little bit with the conversation, but I was burning on fire to express truth, liberation, or whatever. And I, and I went up to the, you know how it is when you go to those events. I went up to the front row, and I, I was going to get the microphone, and I was going to, you know, and I was going to speak, and I was going to get Gangaji's attention. And uh, she had spoken to my heart a few years earlier, 
I didn't go to many of her events. I, I never, uh, well, anyway, that's a sidelight. But I'm, I'm very intense. And the funny thing is, I don't think Ganga Ji even knows this story. Because um, I've spoken with her later, and, you know, this is just something that happened within me. And I started to try to say some things to her, and I was saying stuff in my, going through my mind, and it was like, I, I, I want to I wanna die. Uh, uh, you know, words were trying to come out. And, and they were kind of like heavy words, and, and I just, I don't know, something happened. I just... I just stopped. I just, the whole thing just, just collapsed. And I, 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 I sat there for a second, just kind of stunned. And, and I just put the microphone down in my lap. <laughs> and I, and again, the only funny thing that Gandhiji did do is after that happened, she, she sat there kind of stunned herself and she said, oh, thank you. God, there is stopping. <laughs> and uh, there was nothing magical about that event other than what I just told you. But it just turns out that I actually realized, and it took me many, many months to realize that something had shifted from that moment forward. And it was, I had stopped making trips to the mind hmm. to uh, find myself, to identify myself. Interesting. So, so for many years, this you know, self-reflection, self-inquiry thing was a, a, almost like a practice you had been doing, had gotten into the habit of doing, uh, perhaps even unconsciously, it had become so second nature. And then at that moment, <clears throat> that habit just sort of evaporated and henceforth you didn't do it but you didn't even realize it until later on that you had stopped doing it sometimes when I ask a question I just restate what the person says in order to make sure I clearly understand what they did say but that's it right I mean that's what happened yes that's pretty much it I mean I I actually had the way I discovered it had stopped is uh, a singer a spiritual singer friend of ours came up to our house and was going to do an event is that Kirtana, or I think? Or yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it was Kirtana. Yeah. And she asked me um, if I had longing. And I said no. Mm -hmm. And it was only at that moment when I answered that question, and she was surprised. You know, like, you're kidding. And because that's really part of her songs, too. And I'm, I'm not saying anything about her, because I really can't. But I'm telling the story. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I didn't have longing anymore, hmm. and uh, I just realized it then, and uh, it had been that way ever ever since Hawaii, and uh, so there was a shift there. Yeah, uh, it's interesting how sometimes the shift will take place and it won't even be recognized at that moment. It it, it, it is only recognized much later on in retrospect. You know, you kind of like think, "Whoa, you know, that was really a turning point," and I didn't. Didn't even realize it at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and along with that, um, and I think this is good for everyone to check out on their own, but I realized that, um, you know, on, on some level I was seeking uh, an experience. And I think along with the end of longing was also the end of doubt, the end of question, 
the end of seeking, and and the because the real realization was, oh my gosh, it's not an experience. Mm. You know. Would it be possible to um, give us a little bit clearer understanding of what you mean by longing, what longing was and, and what it wasn't once it had stopped? Ooh, that's your heart wanting to just totally um, break open. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, uh, that's like <laughs> this awakening allows your joy to come out, your love to come out, your smiles to come out, um, your... Um, connection with nature, your innocence, your purity, um, and that, whether we know it or not, we all long for that. And when we can get really, really honest with that longing, um, we allow it. And so most people are holding it down, and there's a lot of belief systems that cause us to hold it down. I mean, we think it's scary and it's not good for love hurts and uh, there's many many messages much conditioning um, that is holding down this desire to awaken authentically to who you really are you know so wouldn't you say that most spiritual seekers are consciously longing that's what defines a spiritual seeker as this sort of conscious Realization that there's something more than what they're living, and they're longing to kind of find it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, longing is very. Um, what's the right word? Natural. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, some people say, "Well, stop seeking and all that." <laughs> if, uh, that's you know, cart before the horse. I mean, if if the if the finding hasn't happened to a sufficient degree, then the seeking is natural, and you're ju- you're just going to be driven. Yeah. And I when think somebody it's... said to you, "Stop seeking." The, the you know, a week after you first met that Santoshi guy, and you were just a newbie on all this, it would have been completely inappropriate, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. From my point of view, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you had to. You, 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 I I don't know if we can say had, but you. You obviously went through 17 years of processing, and I don't know if that could have been shortcutted. Yeah. Well, well I, I don't see anything wrong with seeking, and I Me don't neither. see anything wrong with not seeking. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever the moment, whatever is truthful in the moment. And there, here's another point. Um, there's a few good points. Earnestness, you know, like really w- wanting mm-hmm. to be free. Wanting to be enlightened, wanting to be self-realized, wanting to know who you are, really being earnest about that—that's good. You know, that's that helps. Yeah. Uh, and then being honest as much as possible uh, with yourself. Um, that also um, plays a big role. Being able to see yourself. Uh, to witness honestly what's going on, so that you're not. Because we often, and I, believe me, 17 years is a long time. I mean, I went on many dead ends and, and didn't tell myself the truth all the time. Mm. But it, it does pay to, uh, to be as honest as you can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
a lot of times uh, I think this stop seeking thing is often attributed to Papaji you know and I, I interviewed Neelam a few weeks ago who studied with Papaji quite a bit and she said that the context in which that was said was really you know in his presence there in Lucknow with all these people and you know and he was he was kind of saying hey you know just relax I mean it's right here before your eyes <laughs> and you know, right. it's, it's here in abundance just sort of chill and settle into it and uh, you know and you know I think that not seeking is is often totally appropriate in satsang mm-hmm. I, I really do think that um, that is the almost the best thing you can say in satsang is uh, rest yeah, yeah. I was um, up on stage making a fool of myself one time with, with uh, in the presence of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and uh, I don't know, I was, I was a very intense guy, and he came out with this beautiful thing. He, he, he said, he said, every day is life. He said, don't pass up the present for some glorious future. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. sort of, and he went on a little bit, but that was the essence of it. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, it, I, it's, it took me down a few notches, and, and I, I kind of realized that, you know, sure, the future may be more glorious in a sense than what one is living right now because life has an evolutionary tendency to it. But if you pass over the present for, you know, oh, I, I, I'm going to be miserable until I am such and such, you know, then you're, you're putting yourself out of balance out, and out of tune with the flow. Yeah. Well, the present, presence is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It's the most radiant and richest experience of being is, is, is to be present. And our life when it's present is going to change a lot mm-hmm. um, because many teachers have talked about the seeking aspect, you know, moving away from this moment, moving to the future. It's the next moment. It's not this one. Uh, no, it's, it's right here. Right. Yeah. And it's also the easiest and most sane way to live because then you're not dealing with an imagination, mm-hmm. um, either coming from the past or projecting to the future. You're not dealing with imagination. You're dealing with a very simple experience of right now. And you realize that that's just so, that's so easy to be with. And it's not complex. Right. See, you don't even need to get into a real complex mental state or, you know, doing all these uh, mental gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all right here, and it's, it's, it's uh, beautiful. When you were talking about the <coughs> your experience at the Gangaji and Eli retreat, uh, you know, prior to getting up on the mic, you said you, you, this longing came up and you felt, I think you used the word trapped or constrained or bound or something. Um, was it sort of a, a sudden dawning of uh, awareness that, you know, you weren't as free as you thought you had been? Because uh, you, you mentioned you thought you were liberated, but then this longing came up and you realized you hadn't been liberated. Was, was there sort of a sense of, you know, rest- being bottled up or dammed up? Because then you mentioned when, when that sort of relaxed or burst, like a dam, then there was this outpouring, kind of greater freedom of, of expression of love and, and happiness and all that. Well, I'm not sure I would describe it the way you were just putting it, but 
it, it was because it, it wasn't a contemplated situation. It was a super present. Yeah. One. The, and very, the present sorry. was incredibly present. Uh -huh. I mean, the longing was incredibly present. Uh -huh. So it was just, it was like a, I'm in a fire. I'm hmm. in it. And uh, I didn't even know what it was about. You know, I had, it, it's, it's beyond uh, contemplation. Hmm. It's, uh, I didn't know what it was. But it just came up spontaneously. I, I just yeah. knew that I had to deal with it. I had, yeah. I had to face it, and uh, I had to uh, come to terms with it. But I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know what those terms were, and, I, and what happened I did not expect. And uh, uh, that's just it's a, it's a mystery, I guess. It kind of sounds like, though, you did face it and come to terms with it right on the spot. In other words, like it, it bubbled up because it was time to face it. And then there with Gangaji, it sort of you know, worked itself out. Yeah. And I think that's the value of, of satsang, mm -hmm. of being in satsang, is that uh, it's the perfect place for that kind of encounter with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people have, so-called people, have taken, uh, you know, that opportunity to heart. Sure. Yeah. Did you say you were with Katie at that point? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you guys had already got, gotten together. Yeah. Okay. We've been together since uh, 1988. Mm -hmm. And Katie was also an enormous part of my awakening. Uh, and it's just our heart connection. Um, we, I'm sure we met by grace. There's no other explanation. And uh, the rapport and the natural intimacy. And I was in awakening, and she had awakened, and these two awakenings come together. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, uh, that's a story I won't tell you. <laughs> well, you don't have to. <laughs> but one thing about it is I kind of got, yeah, that's neat. I kind of got the impression from her book that when she met you, you were already awakened or something. I met this wonderful awakened guy. But you're saying that she was instrumental in your awakening. So I guess maybe what you're saying is that it was in process and then she was another big engine on the train, which... No, there was no, there was no distinction between us. So it's impossible to put us on a scale of relativity. Yeah. When, when that comes together, there is no scale, and the terms awakened or self-realized, that doesn't make any sense at all to the, to the relationship at all. You're basically in service to the heart mm -hmm. in something like that, and everything is bowing to the heart. Mm. And so I would say that was more the path of devotion that that was in my in our world, and it was a very 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 natural devotion. It wasn't there was no agenda, um, no. It was it was just so obvious. Some teachers say that um, only after. Self-realization does 
the path of devotion really become does it become possible for the path of devotion to really be profound and um, because it has a foundation you see of you know knowing who you are as opposed to being completely oblivious to who you are and, and so there can then there can be a really a real flowering of of the heart would, would you agree based on your experience I don't know okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean I Devotion isn't something I can describe with any truth. Uh -huh. uh, well, that's really all I can really say about it. Okay. Yeah. Words are just too uh, crude and, and superficial to do it justice? Um, I don't know if I really want to make any statement about it, um, honestly. Uh, it's it's kind of sacred. Okay. Um well, that's good. No, that's, that's I understand. Yeah, it it yeah it, it sort of trivializes it in a way to try to to bring it out verbally and and discuss it. I I think I understand. It's so not an object. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now um, I've I read you know about a third of your book. I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing. There's always a lot going on around here, um, but I really enjoy what I read. Um, our you know, you have the book, the whole structure and flow of the book, I'm sure, much uh, clearer in your mind than it is in mine. Are there some kind of highlights as you con as you think about the book that, you know, would be interesting to discuss and, and um, perhaps interest people in, in reading it to, to, you know, find out more? Hmm. Well, why don't you tell me what you picked up from it? Because, honestly, <sighs> I don't read the book very often. <laughs> well, you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's uh, you know one of these books that it's it's kind of nice to read in small doses. I found um, because there's a lot packed into you know different each sentence and paragraph. And um, I uh, I don't know how many chapters I got through, but um, it's just each each time I, as I was reading, I was kind of wishing you were there to kind of say, hey, let's talk about this, you know. Uh, yeah. A lot of different points were interesting, um, but l let me bounce it back to you. Um, if you had to summarize the book in uh, a short paragraph, um, what would you say it's about? Mm. It's about the two main paths to freedom that are that are on the wisdom path, the mm -hmm. path of Yana, and that is basically self-inquiry. Mm -hmm. um, so the chapter on self-inquiry, I think, is very important. Um, it's very powerful. And uh, the other is presence. Uh, learning that you are presence and uh, using that presence to, to deal with all the dilemmas of, of getting over your programming and conditioning, which are you know, based in time, the illusion of time, the psychological time of the false self. So only by presence, only by the witnessing consciousness, um, can you really, you know, be free. So you're saying that um, self-inquiry and presence are actually two distinct paths and one might take one or the other and perhaps arrive at the same goal. Is that what you're saying? Well, they are distinct. Um, I mean, 
doing self-inquiry does have a structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I use it often. And, and it's in the book. And it's laid out in, in many places um, by Ramana. And um, what better question is there to ask yourself than who am I? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you had any question to ask yourself, <laughs> I think that would be the best one. Um, and there, there is a structure to it. I mean, you, you want to um, find out what the source of that I is, where that I is arising from, mm-hmm. what that I is. And uh, it, can, it, it can be a very practical technique that you can take anywhere. It's not hard. It's like uh, you can use it on the simplest things, like whenever you, let's say you get irritated or something from service at a restaurant, and you just might ask yourself, who? Who is irritated? I am. Who is I? I it's, it's so incredibly powerful um, that it completely can disengage you from the egoic path and the misery and suffering related to that um, in such a simple way, as, as can presence. Mm-hmm. So let's say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Well, let's say you're in that restaurant. Let's say two people are in the restaurant, and they're both getting irritated. <laughs> and one guy uh, you know, uses the, the self-inquiry technique uh, who am I who is getting irritated you know uh, and so presumably that diffuses the irritation you know because it sort of breaks the the fixation on outer directedness and I'm mad at the waitress and and so on and so forth to sort of a inner directedness and you know kind of a, a location of the source of the irritation and be and deeper than that and that the, the other guy let's say uses presence or witnessing, I, I think you equate the two. Um, elaborate on how that would work for him um, in that situation, as opposed to self-inquiry, just to distinguish the two things if, uh, that you've laid out. Well, presence is really understanding that you're consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, Instead of being a um, a name or a form or an object, you're you're actually uh, the moment of space. You're the entire field. You're a field of now, a field of presence. You're an emptiness. So, if you're truly present, if you are truly present, nothing going on in that field will bother you. And if you're not truly present, if something is bothering you in that field, then if you just turn to presence, turn to consciousness, pure consciousness, then you will, you know, realize the truth. You will be liberated. You'll be free. Otherwise, you'll be bound by the resistance you're having to that moment being as it is. And so you are identifying with the content. You're identifying with the play of forms and experiences in front of you in your field. And it's always that identification 
from whatever technique you're using with the limited self, which is literally a false self, because it will betray you constantly because it never lasts. It's totally impermanent. So anytime we are identifying who we are with the changeful, with the impermanence, uh, we will um, suffer the duality involved in concepts. So. It, it sounds like the outcome is the same. Um, in, in fact, I'm still not totally clear on the distinction between self-inquiry and presence because it seems like self-inquiry, as you've described it, sort of gets you to that state of presence. Um, well, if they both lead to the same place, then you could actually say there is no difference. Right, right. You know, I mean, here again, the mind plays tricks on us. Mm-hmm. It is always it wants to distinguish things, but really everything is indistinguishable. Right, all the roads lead to Rome. But we do talk, and by our talking, we can make that distinction, mm-hmm. um, and it can be heard for others. That it's so easy. We have this old habit this mental habit. It's very ancient and it's very established. And so anytime we can uh, catch ourselves, because there's, there's like a tempting force trying to pull you back into... Identification. Yeah, yeah. Trying to pull you back into the idea that a concept is real. A concept is real. A concept is real. Here's a real concept. You know, it's... it's uh, no, they're not. You know, even I am, um, you can boil that down to a very base concept. But actually, what it's really showing you is that you're beyond. You're beyond the concept. Mm. Now, there is, there is, this is where the mind is really freed, because when the mind is no longer identifying, then it's free to serve the truth. And uh, that's a great... uh, release. <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems to me that's the crux of it because you're still going to you still need concepts in order to function. You couldn't do anything if if we didn't have concepts, we'd just be a lion on the floor in a daze or something. Yeah. You know, you need need concepts to go shopping, you need concepts to drive your car, you need concepts to have a conversation and so on, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. the extent to which you are identified or locked in uh, Yeah. To, it's the enmeshment that is the yeah, problem. Yeah, 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 that's the problem. Why don't we just look at concepts um, as a tool? Mm-hmm. You know, they're in our toolbox. Yeah. And, uh, and I bring out a tool, and I use it, and I put it back in the toolbox when I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I think, really where um, concepts lie. They're, they're with material form. They're with names and places. They're with diversity. But they have nothing to do with who you are. Right. And uh, absolutely nothing to do with who you are. And in that uh, vein, could you even say that the ego is a tool, which you know you you use as you use your intellect, your senses, your mind, your you know your physical apparatus, uh, but it has nothing to do with who you are. It's just uh, it's usually in the driver's seat, but you know if things are properly sort of realized, then it it just has a sort of a more of a subservient role and, and isn't um, r- seen to be really running the show. It's a tool. Yeah, I, I actually wouldn't agree with just the way you phrased that because okay. I, 
I don't see the ego having any reality. Uh, the, the ego is false. Hmm. So it's just false. Well, is everything false then? All the other things I just itemized, or just the ego is false, and then, but the mind, the intellect, all those things have some sort of functionality. Some well, now we're getting now we're getting into semantics because now we have to d figure out what false means. Well, people seem to pick on the ego. In other words, the, and, and yet you know everyone seems to even. You, you'll have to tell me first what the ego is. I I don't know what you mean by ego. I would mean by it um, some eye sense. And you know some some sense of you know where somebody comes in the room and says hey Sundance and and you turn your head you know because there's some sense of um, localization and yet you know for as we started started out talking an hour ago for for most people on the planet that's the that's the kind of entirety of their of their existence you know that that's me that's what I am. But you know, for someone who has sort of realized the deeper dimension to life, it's it's peripheral. It's um, it's kind of uh, floating on the surface, but it's, it doesn't completely get eradicated. At least that's my experience. But my experience may be you know immature. Maybe uh, maybe at some point, my experience will be quite the opposite. I don't know. Wow. I'm. Um, I'd rather than have a discussion about the term ego. Mm -hmm. I'd rather frame it in the sense of uh, suffering. Okay. You know, I, however, you're, however we couch these things or um, whatever their terms are, if there is, if you're suffering, this is really our own investigation, then whatever is going on, that process is false. Right. And um, when I use the term ego, I'm really referring to misidentification mm -hmm. and that misidentification causes uh, suffering yeah so absent that I really don't care about the word ego very much I mean that, to me it doesn't have anything to do with this body mm -hmm. you know whether whatever you want to call this body or or the world itself or or the fact that we you know, you can move about the world. You can do everything with the physical body, everything with your emotions, everything with with thinking without thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there there doesn't really have to be a image self there. You know, uh, like I carry, I look in the mirror in the morning, and then I carry that image around with me all day long. That to me is the ego. You know, it's I, I'm constantly thinking about myself. In the past, I'm I'm thinking about myself in the future, what I'm going to do next, how I'm going to handle uh, the next event. So, the ego is that which takes you out of presence. It's that which uh, confuses you as, or or veils your realization of who you are. Okay. Well, I can understand. You know, if you if you define ego that way, then I can understand why you would say that it's just a. It's it's unreal. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I tend to use it more in the sense that um, there's uh, even a person who is not in the least bit identified or trapped or bound or you know overshadowed can still there there's still a, uh, a, a kind of a kernel of um, 
eye sense, which um, it is not exclusively their their sense of eye. I mean, there's a much broader, vaster reality to what they know theirself, themselves to be, but there's there's still sort of a functioning, um, you know, util, utilitarian yeah. compo- component to the to the to the personality structure that um, is is never utterly eradicated, and and it seems that if it were, then it would be difficult <laughs> you, to, to function. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have any world at all. I mean, yeah, yeah, right. I, in my own experience, mm-hmm. um, as long as there is consciousness, there is an eye sense. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, I have actually seen consciousness arise, mm-hmm. come out of nothing, and, and and before the world started, before my body started, before uh, anything started. Saw, I there was an there's an identity there, but it's nothing. But there's a definite sense of being. Yeah. But there's nothing, and then light, and then body. This could be like waking up in the morning. It can happen waking up in the morning. Um, so consciousness brings in the I am. Actually, and this is, I can't speak about this, but I believe that really there's, we are something beyond consciousness because I've seen consciousness arise and I've seen it set. So who's seen that? And, and, but there's no sense of I am in that. There's no sense of self. Right. So consciousness and self, pure self, pure consciousness, same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's I, but... But really, is the I the body, or is the I... At some point, the I becomes consciousness, pure consciousness. That's who, that's who you know yourself to be in the manifest world. Right. In that which is manifesting, I am consciousness. So it's very beautiful, actually, to live as that truth, because that big self is quite miraculous and a lot of fun and uh, and you're not clearly not the doer I am consciousness is not the doer See, the doer is the body the person you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get this handled no 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 <laughs> give it to consciousness you know, let go of the struggle of that personal struggle um, the personal fears. Uh, everything personal, because that's not truly who you are. It's not truly who I am. Um, and it, it it's a graceful life. Yeah, that's good. That's very well put. Um, it's a matter of kind of proportion and perspective. Uh, you know, are you the ocean or are you the iceberg? Well, they're both, they're both water. The iceberg just happens to be a little bit more precipitated, and uh, it floats around in a specific place, but the ocean is everywhere. And, you know, maybe you're, you know, all the icebergs are all essentially the same as the ocean, you know? <laughs> but they each have their some individual expression, but ultimately they're all ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are. We're, everything, everything in this world is consciousness. Mm-hmm. I am consciousness. You are consciousness. Everything is consciousness, and and I I took that very pragmatically, um, and it's amazing to me that sometimes it doesn't 
seem to be able to be seen, but this is very pragmatic. When you wake up in the morning, because we're already having this discussion, you'll probably understand what I'm pointing at. Who are you? I mean, does, does just your body wake up? Does just your thoughts wake up? No. Everything wakes up. It's all there. You, it's all there. I mean, it's everything around you is there, and it's, and it's like, why don't we allow ourselves to be our totality? We're told some story, some other story, you know, but that's not actually our experience. Our experience is that the totality of manifest life is present as us and uh, but of course we're we have been told a false story and that it's just the contemplate and investigate what is the truth look within be honest take a, take a good look it, and we discover truths when we look mm-hmm. and we see for ourselves I don't know if it's just a matter of what we've been told you know it's not like uh, one generation de- deludes the next, and you know, and so on and so on. Uh, generation after generation, it's it's more like the mechanics of human experience are such that you know the outer directed attention results in you know kind of a focusing down to the point value and a loss of the un- of the you know universal value, and it becomes habitual. It becomes conditioned, and we get locked into it to the point that you know we can't just turn around and and appreciate the the universal value and like like yourself it, there was a process over many years of you know reversing that conditioning that had that had become in, ingrained um, would you agree with that that's more of a statement than a question but it it, it almost sounds like when we say we've been told it's it's like there was this sort of uh, diabolical plot to delude us in our in our infancy <laughs> and we perpetuate that through the generations uh <clears throat> Yeah, well, it's just a story. You know, I mean, you, I could say that the ego's a diabolical plot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but ultimately, um, the, and this is honest, I, I just don't, I don't like splitting hairs to try to, mm-hmm. to find um, truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's hard for me to... Uh, to do that and come up with anything that ma- makes any sense to me. I'd, in a lot of ways, the most powerful teaching that Katie and I do, and we don't do it, but it happens, is just sitting in silence mm-hmm. um, as consciousness. And so really, uh, you know, because that's where everything is really going. Right. You know, it's going to silence. It's, it's going to stillness. Going to the mountain, you know. Yeah. And the, the field, and so um, a lot of times things can be said so many artful ways, but they always seem to be moving the opposite direction. That really, I see the truth in. I see the truth moving to stillness and silence and pure awareness, you know, and not really having so much to say about what it's like or what it is or how this thing differs from that thing. And, you know, it's uh, it makes for interesting talk, 
Um, but it doesn't really speak truly. I think you're rebelling. In, in my opinion, you're rebelling against your years as a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, I th well just to, to to play devil's advocate to that. Um, I think there's there's truth in what you say. I mean, people can get really caught up in um, intellectual gymnastics about all this stuff without any kind of correlation in, in, in genuine experience. Um, on the other hand, there have been some great teachers throughout history who, you know, engaged in vigorous debates, you know, like Shankara, for instance. He would go around India debating all these people, fully established in, in the experience that he, was, that he was discussing with them. But it was, you know, that was just his tendency, his, his proclivity, his capability, and it was in keeping with the culture. So I'm not, an, I'm not a scholar, I'm not an intellectual person, but um, you know, I don't have too many advanced degrees or anything like that. But I, I'm just sort of making the point that, that I don't think that um, intellectual discrimination and discussion is necessarily incompatible with presence and being and, and realization. It's sometimes painted with that brush, um, but, and, and it's, it's largely a matter of sort of individual tendencies, and, and for some people it's completely inappropriate, but it's one of those things, like you said earlier, about you know formal practices. Different strokes for different folks, to each his own. For some people it may work and be, be appropriate. For others it's like, you know, nonsense. They're not interested in it, and and I kind of respect all all the different um, tendencies that people have. I mean, you go to this science and non-duality conference in in San Rafael, and you hear, you know, some brilliant minds really kind of discussing this kind of stuff in you know great detail, and uh, and others, you know, they're very simple. They get up there and maybe have start having tears running down their cheeks or something. They're just not. In fact, Francis, Francis Lucille, when he, when he got up to speak, he just sat there for 20 minutes. And at the end, he said, you know, it's not so much what we say, it's how much we love that matters. And he got up out of his chair and left. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so... But but if everyone who came to the conference did that, I think nobody would <laughs> show up again next year. <laughs> so you know, different strokes for different folks. Slide yeah, the family stone. we 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 fit beautifully together, all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many flowers in the garden, and and it would be, you know, it wouldn't be a very pretty garden if all the flowers are exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. One one point I wanted to kind of come back to a little bit was your discussion of witnessing, because you, you kind of established that as a significant part of the book, and I, I, I had gotten that far in the book. Um, are you suggesting that witnessing is a, um, here we go again with intellectual nitpicking, but are, are, are you suggesting that witnessing is something one actually does or practices uh, consciously and intentionally, or is it more like a symptom of a, a certain state of being where naturally one finds oneself the witness of all that goes on. Well, the way I was taught it and I actually feel the way it was realized as well is mm -hmm. it didn't start with witnessing, it started with self-observation. Okay. And I actually um, learned about that teaching that came from 
at least the source I got it from was Gurdjieff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and then his instead of calling it um, witnessing, he called it self-remembering. So yeah. self-observation to self-remembering. Mm -hmm. Very early on, I took up uh, contemplating that teaching. Uh -huh. um, so in the beginning, it might start as self-observation. So you're basically you th you're, think you're a person, and you're just starting to observe yourself. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and that's good. Um, and it bears fruit, and spontaneously it might deepen at some moment, where you, instead of our self, a person um, observing yourself, that you slip into a consciousness and presence. You just slip into it. And see, there's so many words for the same thing. Sure, yeah. The, the point of the word witness really is the non-involvement right. with, with uh, experience. Mm -hmm. So you're not taking sides. You're not, you don't particularly have a point of view except what they would call a, a neutral point of view. Um, sometimes I call it the harmonizing force. And it's a little controversial nowadays to use the pyramid, but <laughs> in duality in the mind, you know, you've got the base and the polarized forces, active, passive, moving back and forth, yin and yang. And then at the top of the pyramid, you have this eagle, this overview. Uh -huh. So the witness is not taking sides with either side of the, of the support structure. It is just um, viewing impartially what's going on. Mm -hmm. So rather than in this witnessing power, rather than being trapped in the forces of duality, which are opposing and contradicting each other, and also working together, but basically they create um, the dualities of life, pleasure and pain, desire and fear, stuff like that. Um, the witnessing allows you, it's called the harmonizing force the peace force. Um, you can imagine that if you're trying to create peace and you have two warring entities, that this uh, mediator, if he's willing to hear both sides and to consider both sides as legitimate, is and is and is and and because he has no resistance or, or bias to either one, he's actually taking in the the true story, the true picture. So if each of those parties are feeling met, then there might be a equanimity and a balance that, that results from, from that consciousness that's involved in the situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, for, if we call some period of humanity's experience, the dark ages, where, where these lower forces were in constant duality and conflict with each other, and the spiritual energy of the witness had not entered into the scene, then um, the possibilities for harmony and balance might, and peace in a real way might not have been realized. And so I think what's happening in the world now is that this spiritual force, this harmonizing force, this third force beyond the, the forces of duality has entered the scene and to the extent that we access it, um, it's bringing that 
to our own experience, not only on the inside, but also reflected on the outside. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to um, sort of be in tune with this harmonizing force or to be in to be sort of in this witness consciousness and yet at the same time uh, take a stand? Because, like, for instance, in your book, your commentaries about the way our country behaved after 9-11 uh, as contrasted with how we might ideally have behaved, um, to me kind of implied a sort of a progressive liberal perspective, um, which I share. And, um, you know, and yet... There is it possible to sort of have a have a kind of a conviction like that, and yet at the same time, um, be in, on a deeper level, perhaps be impartial, universal in in one's perspective. I believe so. I mean, I believe we're at that point right now, mm -hmm. where um, as many of us as as possible as many parts of consciousness as possible can get together and be present mm -hmm. and uh, and not be coming from the polarized forces of desire and fear mm. warring with each other right um, and the I think that we could have an influence um, and that we can make appropriate decisions I won't say what the, any specific decision would be Right. But certainly, um, not reacting uh, to a negative situation with more negativity. I mean, some yeah. of some of these things are just common sense. They're not high spiritual principles. It's it's obviously um, the the public is is being completely manipulated to a very ignorant point of view, and is under the sway. Of a very, a very dangerous um, beliefs, and hopefully we are, you know, if that goes too far, obviously it gets very, very bad, which is what's happening now, and then out of that um, suffering, um, we finally have had enough, and we are looking for a new way, and that, in many times in the past, that new way was not really a new way; it was just a change. In other words, I always throw you in with throwing some more despots and the whole thing turns into a mess about 20 years later. But now, it's really, really, really serious. You know, because there's a lot of... And again, this is kind of a metaphorical story of what happens on the inside with all of us waking up. The two go together. It's all one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I... I I believe that um, people will be looking to presence for the next decisions that are made in this world. I hope that is the case. It is real. It is present, and that's what your show is about. Um, and, and there's many, many others in the world right now. It's it's very active mm -hmm. as we sit here. Yeah. I think you're right, I th and you made an interesting point there, which is that the, the sort of there, there's a lot of change now on the outside. People waking up, people not kind of passively accepting stuff that is really unacceptable by any decent standards, um, and that the the correlation to that is this sort of it, kind of a 
epidemic of spiritual awakening that seems to be taking place. I, I think the two are very much intertwined. Um, yes. And it's, you know, we're, we're all playing different roles, some of us more political and activist and some of us more uh, quiet perhaps. But um, again, you know, different flowers in the garden. We all have our individual roles to play. But um, it's, it's heartening, you know. It it's kind of um, gives one hope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. It it definitely is happening. You know, we're we're bringing light. Light is being brought into the situation. So, really, what's happening is that um, the faults is being exposed collectively. Yeah. There are enormous falsehoods. There is an enormous disillusionment going on collectively, worldwide. Yeah. And that disillusionment collectively. It is changing the whole paradigm of what their beliefs were. You know, they thought the world was operating a certain way. And when you actually do find out what the real depth of it is, what the real story is, it's just totally, completely uh, nothing like what we've assumed. Yeah. And this is even true for me. Uh, I, in the last couple of years, as the story, as the collective story has been revealed to this consciousness, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, I knew that things were wrong. You know, I mean, I, I knew that the world was, you know, definitely um, insane. <laughs> but, but, but actually, what the real story is is just so mind-blowingly different mm. than uh, we've been told. That when people wake up to it, it's going to not. It's going to shake us all collectively, but it's also going to shake our insides because that's even your inner story will no longer make sense. Hmm. Once the I, outer story is completely destroyed, you know, it, it, it'll shake you, through, alter your foundations inside and out. Hmm. And so I think at that point, um, I hope that it's a, it's a turning to the heart. It's a turning to love, and it's, and it's seen from... It's seen from the witness point of view that we are uh, one being, one consciousness. Mm. You know, and uh, I I have often said that there will be one job in the future, and you know I didn't think it would happen in my lifetime, but it just might, it just might, and that would be service, mm -hmm. service, service to others. Only one job. And you may, it doesn't matter, you'll be doing all kinds of different things, but the attitude. The spirit, yeah. And the understanding, or as Shunyata used to say, the inner standing mm -hmm. will be totally, you know, here in the heart. Yeah. Like you might be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher yeah. or a bus, a bus driver or whatever, but it's, the, it's where you're doing it from that. Everything will change, though. There'll be plenty of money. There'll be plenty of abundance. There'll be no poverty. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff will exist. It's only existed because of the lack of uh, spiritual energy, the lack of the witnessing force. Yeah. It's, it's, come, it's only come about in inattention, mm -hmm. no presence. See, things are sneaking up on us and using us, and we gave our power away. But, you know, you can reclaim your power by being who you really are, mm. being the witness, being, being present. Because really, what can happen to you when you're present? Right. 
who can who can sneak up on you and, and make you do something silly <laughs> or say something silly or or hurt someone or go mm. go off to, here you're present here go off to war go fight this war right you know <laughs> I mean hopefully uh, we have enough of a charge and a presence here that uh, this this may be this a beautiful beginning. I'm glad you got onto this topic. It's, 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 you get really um, animated when you when you begin talking on this theme, and I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, it's good. I was I was on a boat ride one time with Marishi, and um, people were talking about this what he called the phase transition. You know, this who this is like 1975, and this this huge change that he saw coming, and many people were even then talking about it. And then people said, well, how can we survive it? It sounds like it could be really cataclysmic. And he said, well, hang on to yourself. You know, hold on to yourself. That'll, that'll, that's all you need to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's so true now. Yeah. Those are, those are very important words. Um, be your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, be super let, let it bring you into, as Eckhart used to say, bring you into intense presence hmm. when, it, when the going gets um, very dicey. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know how it is when um, disaster happens, how people come together naturally? Yeah, like earthquakes or, you know, yeah, yeah. tornadoes no, or whatever. Unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. how much our hearts open up, how much our eyesight opens up. Yeah. Even a snowstorm, you know, here in Iowa, you have a big yeah, yeah. snowstorm. Everybody's out helping shovel each other's driveways and, you yeah. know, feeling all this neighborliness. People you haven't talked to since yeah. last winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's important. I, it's, I'm hopeful that we're going to get to the uh, – um, well, <laughs> there's, there's two cruxes to the problem. One is inner and the other one's outer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, they're both the same, you know. And it is the ego, you know, the ego inside, and then the ego outside. And we need to get to the, that ego, and we need to say, uh, your time is over. This is completely false. I'm done with you. Hmm. Um, I have realized who I am now, and you no longer have any power over, over my life. In fact, I, I recognize you. I am. I am looking at you. I am watching you. Yeah. yeah it's like anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Except we forgive, <laughs> because there's nothing to forgive once you realize. You know, it's everything's fine. Yeah, it's great. I I remember back in the '60s or early '70s when all the kind of the protests and riots and whatnot were taking place on the college campuses, and I was in college and uh, I was already meditating at that point, and, and I and I thought I felt like okay, well, I'm making my contribution. I, I feel like they're, these guys are just getting too carried away um, without referring back to the foundation, you know, without the sort of, you know, there's too much ego involved, not enough self-referral. And nowadays I look back and I think, well, you know, if it weren't for their efforts, the Vietnam War might have lasted a lot, lot longer than it had. And, uh, you know, so it, it, people need to do stuff on the outer level as well. They can't just sit around and meditate and expect the world to change. And I, I think that there's a, a kind of a, a balance and, and, you know, perhaps those who have been a little bit 
primarily inward oriented could could actually benefit from being a little bit more engaged outwardly and, and vice versa you know the, the occupied people and all have to be remain or have to remember that there's a deeper dimension to this that's that's really motivating this this awakening and you know stay true to that in order for in order to stay on track mm-hmm yeah, I mean, it's it's all one, you know, it's one big, huge manifestation, mm-hmm. and, and uh, no part in that manifestation is unimportant, Right. it's all connected, mm-hmm. um, separation is a notion that has no existence in, in reality, so um, whether we know it or not, we are all rowing the ship, you know, together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just honestly think we are living at an amazing time where we are going to see a paradigm shift um, globally. And uh, very, very different from the past, like the French Revolution or the American yeah. Revolution, right. where basically the same forces remained. Mm-hmm. A new force is entering here, and it is this consciousness. It is this witnessing. It is, it is the um, awareness of a higher truth that is that is already present. Does not need to be established. It's just waiting to be felt and to be seen and to be lived and to be realized. Yeah. And it's ha- and, and that's what it, you know. It's been growing and growing and growing and growing. And we always wondered if it was going to grow fast enough. <laughs> yeah. Before the you know. Manifestation decided to take a turn for the worse, but uh, yeah, uh, I don't know if I would say hopeful for, for me as much as I would say I'm a, kind of excited and kind of enthused by it. Yeah, and, me too. Yeah. And I, and I, because I don't see any uh, uh, real disaster, you know, not from the point of view of, of who you really are. Right. There's nothing under threat, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, how do we live here? How do we enjoy this time? How do we how do we spend this now together? You know, I, I'd like to be with you, and I'd like to be with um, people like you, and I'd like to um, and and I and I have compassion for when I see them suffering, even when you know you're loving them. And there's, the more the love grows, the more they're surrounded by it. We can have a really, really sweet life, I hope. Yeah, it's very inspiring to hear you I say it, so. actually. At one point, I got goosebumps when you were saying that. It's like it kind of um, ramped up my, my inspiration level <laughs> <laughs> for this whole thing. So, yeah. um, you know, it's beautiful. I'd actually like to recommend a book in addition to your book. Um, there's a... There's a friend of mine named Robert Cox who about 20 years ago wrote this book called The Pillar of Celestial Fire and the Lost Science of the Ancient Seers. And in it he talked about, uh, and what you were saying reminded me of it, he talked about subtle energy and how uh, you know, it's this sort of subtle force which 
which causes spiritual evolution and which kind of en enlivens the physiology and so on. And he, he actually, he, he goes into great detail, but he said that there's this sort of procession of the equinoxes, which happens on a cycle of 26,000 years, and we're approaching the point at which a huge sort of influx of subtle energy will come, kind of a, a wash, the, uh, bombarding the Earth from the sort of central center of the galaxy, and that it's, that's why we're experiencing this quickening in, in uh, consciousness around the world. Anyway, I don't want to dwell on that, but it, I just, the thought the book came to mind, and uh, I think a lot of listeners might enjoy it. Nice. Yeah, Robert Cox okay. is the guy's name. So um, anyway, uh, we probably should wrap it up. We've been almost two hours. Is, is there anything? I, there are probably a, a million beautiful little nuggets in your book that we could go off on discussions about, um, talk for another two hours, but out of mercy for our listeners, uh, <laughs> we can conclude. But is there anything that, you, that has kind of been in the, in the back of your mind that you feel like we ought, ought to have touched on that we haven't? Hmm. Well, just because you were mentioning the book, the only thing I'll say about uh, Free Spirit and also Katie's book, Awake Joy, is that they were written in presence. Yes. In presence. So more than the ideas that are in them, um, the real value in those books is that they contain that energy of presence and help uh, everyone resonate with it because that's that's just what the book is. It's, it has that frequency in it. So beyond the actual directions and statements and words, there is a flow, and I think that's the real value of the book. And I think that's the real value of any true spiritual teaching is not what they say, but to be the realization that you're trying to communicate so that it's not a trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. It is an actual offering. And uh, I got I, that feeling yeah. while reading your books, uh, both of them, they, they kind of kind of yeah. settle you down, you know, because of the energy that, the, the level from which they were written. Yeah. Yeah. Thank I you. actually was on a spiritual retreat a couple of weeks ago um, with Sharon Landreth and had... Um, Katie's book with me and got caught a lot of reading time in on the retreat, so that was a nice combination. Um, kind of came back here and uh, hit the ground running again, so I didn't have quite as much time to read your book, but it was very, it's very enjoyable what I've read of it so far. Thank you. Thank How'd you, you get the name Sundance? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it came from a cat. Oh. You have cats. I have a cat. Right. Katie, Katie and I. <laughs> <laughs> she often sits in my lap while I'm doing these interviews. What's her name? Leela. Oh, nice. Which means play in Sanskrit. Yeah, yeah. I know the word. And then we have a couple of dogs, too. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know how I got it, actually. I mean, I, I had a cat that we, that we uh, two cats that we picked up at Lake Clonault. They were wild, and they were living at a lodge, and they needed a home. And their names were Sundance and Moonbeam. And when we brought them home with us, um, Sundance in a day or two was gone, either eaten by something or, or just took off. So you took his name. Go figure. You know. That's great. When I was a kid, the, there were two cats living across the street named Sunbeam and Moonbeam. Very close. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's a nice name. 
So, uh, so thank you, Sundance. This has been enjoyable, and uh, I really hope I'll run into you one of these days. Give okay. you a big hug. Um, I'm sure can we I, will. Can I give a little uh, schedule? Very small. Yes, please. Go ahead. Because um, we're going to be somewhere near you. And uh, keep in mind that people might be watching this two years from now, uh, you know, ten years from now. So uh, let, let's give a date and uh, time. So, and they... so let's go to uh, um, our website. If you want to see our schedule, mm -hmm. is, uh, my website is www.sundanceburke.org. Mm -hmm. That's B-U-R-K-E. And uh, our schedule is posted there, Katie and my schedule. And in general... Um, in June, we're going to be in uh, North Carolina and Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., and then back to North Carolina for the wonderful gathering. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we've decided to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, thank you for sharing with me and being present with me. And I enjoyed it very much. Me too. We'll do it again sometime. So uh, let me make a couple of concluding remarks. Um, you've been watching an interview which is part of an ongoing series um, called Buddha at the Gas Pump. And um, all of these interviews can be found archived at batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, which is an acronym for Buddha at the Gas Pump. And if you'd like to be notified every time a new one is uh, made available, you can subscribe to the email notification thing there, or you can subscribe on YouTube, and new YouTube will tell you when new ones come up. Although I'm having a little problem with YouTube at the moment. I won't go into that. Um, there's also an audio uh, podcast that you can subscribe to with Apple's iTunes, and uh, there's a link to that from the website. There's also a, a fairly lively discussion group, two discussion groups actually, one on batgap.com that that crops up around every interview. And then there's also a Yahoo group called Buddha at the Gas Pump, which is a little bit lesser known, um, but there's some pretty good discussion, discussions there sometime. You'll find a link to that on batgap.com also. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sundance. Bye-bye, Rick. Bye-bye. And thank you to those who have been listening or watching, and we will see you next time. <laughs>